Good morning, people of God. It's my joy to be back among you to worship our Lord together. People of God has become something of a throwaway term. It feels like it's just sort of a general term used to address any group of believers. Actually, you probably didn't even notice it a second ago unless maybe you read the title of the sermon. And I I suspect that if you did, maybe you didn't quite ascribe to it the weight that it deserves. Maybe I should say that until I was preparing for this morning, I didn't describe to it the weight that it might deserve. But it is sort of a taken-for-granted phrase that we call ourselves. We are the people of God. But it's different than calling us Christians or Christ followers or believers. It's different because these terms are sort of things that we can also have just for ourselves. I follow Christ, Christ follower. You believe, believer. But I don't think they're different, but I don't mean that they're different in that we put them like on our business cards or on our office doors, I'm a Christian. We don't do that. All that, well, that would be cool. I mean that these are names that we can take to recognize that we believe as individuals in the good news of Jesus Christ. So this means that these terms, Christians, Christ followers, believers, is a different way of identifying yourself than as the people of God. I can't say I am the people of God. I am not the people of God. I'm a part of the people of God. So this morning when I address you as the people of God, I am referring specifically to the passage that we're talking about today. And in these three words, I'm summarizing what it says here. So I could have said, good morning, you chosen people, you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, you who praise him who are called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you had received mercy. But I think we'll just stick with the people of God. But I do want those words to carry the weight of all of these verses, these last two verses that we read today. It's not just a throwaway term. It's not just something that we casually use. So I started here at the end of the passage that we read today because it makes the rest of this, the rest of this makes a lot more sense if we first understand the people of God correctly. We are not persons of God, but specifically, we are a group that makes up one thing. We are, by very definition, united. We are one people of God. So that means that there are not borders between the people of God here at First Hamilton and the people of God at the church down the road. It means that there's no denominational lines among the people of God, that we reformed people have it all right. It means that there are no racial lines in the people of God or gender lines. There is nothing that can separate the people of God from one another. But there are people who are separate from the people of God. People that are talked about in this very passage as well. A group referred to here simply as those who do not believe. And the word that floats around reformed conversations, especially where I live in Grand Rapids, maybe you know it. It's the reprobate. If you don't know it, 
these are the people that, for a reason that we just can't understand, God did not choose. These are people that, even if they hear about the living stone, it says in our text today that he will be no more than a rock that makes them fall. If you've ever needed a reason for lament, look no further. You don't even need to think of anyone specific. Why, God, would you choose him or choose me and not him? Why would you turn your face from her? But it's not for us to know who God has chosen and who he is not. All we can do is know, like what it says when I ask you, people of God, what is it? What is your only comfort in life and in death? And you would reply that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I can testify that God lives in me, but I cannot testify if God lives in you. Only you can do that. So it is not for us to draw a line between the people of God and those who do not believe any more than it is for us to draw a line between the different churches of the people of God. There's actually never a time when we're called to draw a line between us and any other person. When it comes to that, that is only God's job. Instead, the Bible says we're called to two things, and you know them, to love God and to love your neighbor. It doesn't say love your neighbor that looks the same as you, or has the same political views as you, or the same criminal record as you. It doesn't make any claims about who's in or who's out. It just says to love. So today's text goes on to say that what we should be doing, and this includes loving all of our neighbors, and this is going back to the text in verse five, it says, like living stones, you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are not building, mind you, but being built. We don't shoulder the responsibility of building this house any more than a stone is responsible for where it is placed. God alone selects who he uses to build his house. God chooses who his people are. And we don't know whether it's nearly everybody or only a select few. Richard Mao suggests that the elect of God include far more people than most of us would think or imagine. But even this esteemed theologian doesn't really know. We have no part in that decision. But too often do we stop here. We say among ourselves that it's God's work, that he already knows who is saved and who is not, and so it doesn't matter if we share the good news. We've outsmarted the system so that we can lay back on our decks and let the world go by us. Too often do we forget that we are not just some hardened dust compacted into a rock, but instead that God took the dust of the earth and breathed life into it. He gave us life, and in doing so, he also gave us a purpose. 
This past week of mine, like a number of you, attended an Ash Wednesday service with her sixth grade son. His name's Sam. She told me that after the service, Sam came up to her and, he, and in reflecting on the message in liturgy, he said, Mom, from ashes to ashes and dust to dust is kind of a depressing sentiment. And it is. But she said, in the discussion that followed, they concluded that our own mortality, that the limited number of days that we have on earth is a reminder of, our urgent, of the urgency of our calling. That we were given breath in our lungs for a purpose. We are not merely rocks or bricks, but we are like, as our passage says, living stones with a purpose. So we can read that purpose as well here, and I just did a second ago, but I'll do it once more. First in verse 5, and then it repeats it in a different way in verse 9. It says this, our purpose is to be, to be offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, it says almost the same thing in a different way, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. People of God, we are called to worship. From the very beginning, when God Almighty breathed life into the dust, we were created and put on this earth so that we, as one people of God, can worship him. You literally have one job. Do you know that expression? It goes something like this, I'll explain it. So say I, I'm, I'm a manager at a, at a plant or something like that. I have a really big place and it gets really messy. And there's a guy, I hired him, and, and all his job is is to sweep the floor. So then one day I'm walking along looking at everything going on and I trip. And I look up at that guy and I go, you had one job. All you needed to do was sweep the floor. And it's kind of a sarcastic saying, a little bit critical maybe. But we fail at our job all the time. That one thing that we have to do all of a sudden gets very difficult. Because like a floor, it can get quite messy down here sometimes. And we fail to do that one thing. So sometimes we fall from our place in the spiritual house. Maybe we get caught up in our own selfishness and pride. We get swept up into the, the cornucopia of ungodliness that's around us. We fall into sin time and time again. And as we do, we tear down our neighbors and ourselves. We fall out of walk with Christ. And it just hurts us when we do it. We know it hurts us, and we still do it nonetheless. But even when we feel like we are way too sinful to even be the dirt on the ground next to the spiritual house of God, let alone be a part of it, we look up and we see him coming towards us. His arms are outstretched, and the hands of God pick us up, wipe us clean, and bring us back into his house. Every time we feel his arms around us, 
and put us back where we're called to be. Because, not because we deserve it, but because that every time we fall, Jesus says, no, I fall instead. And even though we know that we will fall again, and Jesus knows that we will fall again, we also know that every single time Jesus will come out and say, no, I fall instead. And just like the prodigal son coming back to his father, we are welcomed back into our place in his house. So what do we do? We leave our shame and our regrets behind us. We take our place amid the thronging worshipers that we call the people of God. We come back into the house of the Lord. And we can do this with confidence because when Jesus said, I fall instead, we know that he did not stay down. And knowing this, during this Lent season, we gather every Sunday in celebration. In celebration of Jesus being alive. Because really, we can't contain our celebrations of this to just one day on Easter. We know that on that Sunday, we'll be singing, He arose. He arose. Victorious over the grave, He arose. And so, in this Lent season, we'll be celebrating here by coming to the table of our Lord. We'll be coming to break the bread that has given us new life and to drink the cup that overflows with his grace. And we do do so knowing that we, on our own, are not worthy of this bread and cup, but only because we have been made worthy by our Lord Jesus Christ. So this Lent we are celebrating because without Jesus, we would be nothing more than just dead stones. We are celebrating because once we were sinful and rejected, but now Jesus has wiped away our sin because he has chosen us. We celebrate because all we can do to show our gratitude is praise our Lord. And so, I can with confidence say, once you were a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.